The Insurance Brokers Podcast is brought to you by Sarah Myerscoff of Boston Tullis. Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerscoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. Good morning, Pat. Thank you so much for joining me on the Insurance Brokers Podcast on this very sunny but cold Monday morning. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Sarah. Great to be here. So I wonder if, uh, so we've got quite a good uh, chat to have today. I'm really looking forward to it. But I wonder if you might kind of introduce yourself, your role and and how you come to be in your role, what your your working life history is. Uh, Yeah, how long have you got? Um, So... um, (laughs) I'm, I'm Pat Bryce. I'm distribution director at CFC Underwriting. Um, how did I get here? Well, I've been at CFC for about six and a half years, but uh, prior to that, I spent, um, gosh, 20 years working um, for um, RSA Group in loads and loads of different roles. So um, like pretty much everybody else, I, sh- I assume that you interview on this podcast, I kind of fell into insurance because I wanted a job and wasn't quite sure what I needed to do, but that's that's fine. And we need to get better at that. That's a separate conversation about how we attract really good people. But um, I did probably about 10 different jobs at RSA. I was an underwriter, um, uh, did about five or six years in marine underwriting, doing cargo and freight logistics and stuff like that. Um, I uh, I did a load of leadership roles in the marine business, ended up running uh, the sales for our UK and European marine business. Um, then switched, which not many people do, I switched out of marine and into professional and financial lines and I sort of got all the kind of weird looks from the marine guys who assume that you just kind of follow the single track once you're in marine, you're always in marine. Um, moved into professional lines and ran uh, the, the regional business for RSA for a few years. Then did a sales job. We created um, a, uh, a like a strategic relationships division for RSA and looked after our big broker relationships for a few years, and then switched back to running the the whole professional and financial lines business for a couple of years too. So looking after PI and DNO and crime and personal accident and things like that. So lots of different leadership roles and lots of different kind of broker focused roles all over the UK, in Europe, and and some international stuff as well. Um, Left RSA at the end of 2014, I think it was. Had a few months off, wanted to do something completely different and joined a business uh, that was about 100 people. So I went from a business of about 7,000 people in the UK to CFC, which was about 110 people at the time I joined. Something like that. Um, And uh, yeah, been there six and a half years and the business has grown from 100 and something people to 500 and something people in a fairly short space of time. So yeah, that, that brings me up to date. Fabulous. So distribution director, what's your main kind of area of focus now? So um, in in really simple terms, what I do is look after our brokers. So um, we only distribute our products through um, uh, regulated insurance brokers in um, 90 something countries across the world. Um, We've got at last count just under 3000 offices of brokers that send us business. Um, So we've got a really broad and, and I think quite unique um, distribution base of uh, multinational brokers, uh, small retail brokers, wholesale brokers. My job is to make sure that we've got the right partnerships, uh, make sure that CFC is facing into those brokers in the right way and that we're getting the most value out of those relationships. So yeah, that's my job. 
So one of the things that we've had some quite interesting conversations about previously is the role of technology in the distribution chain. And I know the sort of CFC mission is, is, has a bit of focus around that. Do you want to give us a bit of, uh, bit of background on that? Yeah, so um, I think it's fairly common knowledge now, but for those of you that don't know, but um, CFC was started uh, 21, nearly 22 years ago. Uh, and originally the business was called clickforcover.com. So that's what CFC means. So uh, started by Dave Walsh, who is still our group CEO. Um, he had a vision that uh, in the early years of the dot-com boom, that, that there was an opportunity to sell uh, basic cyber insurance to the new online companies who were emerging and starting to do the first kind of the first knockings of online trading. Uh, Click for Cover was the business that he set up. It was part of the Howden Group at the time. Um, and uh, the reality was, unfortunately, that not many people clicked for cover. So there was a there was a great idea there, but the business and the industry wasn't quite ready for that. So the business had to diversify quite quickly into being a bit more of a kind almost of ahead of the curve there. Slightly ahead of the curve, yeah, exactly. We've just been waiting for everybody else to catch up to some extent, um, and, and the, world, the world's doing that now. But we were, we were selling commercial online insurance 20, 21, 22 years ago. Ever since then, technolo technology's been really key to what we do. Um, but there's a bit of a kind of a, a, a misunderstanding about how, um, it, where the technology fits. And really, up until recently, the vast majority of the technology that we use has been in-house technology that allows us to trade much more efficiently and much more in a much more seamless way with brokers so we haven't really gone down the conventional uh, e-trade route to use a, a slightly a slightly aged phrase now but um, what we've done is use technology in-house to really streamline the inquiry process the underwriting process and free up our underwriting teams to process SME business incredibly efficiently so vast majority of the business that we do is SME average premium 1500 to 2000 pounds or dollars depending on where we're trading in the world um, and the kind of business that we bring into CFC is the kind of business that would ordinarily stay very much in its local markets it's SME business it's got no right to come outside of the US or Canada or Australia or even the regional markets where we play in, in, in the UK but because we can trade it incredibly efficiently because we can make it really easy for brokers to send us very basic information and then process that um, using our own technology and get a quote out faster than um, all of our peers in the market can, we win more consistently. And one of the, the key points about SME business is that it's pretty much always the first response back that tends to win. Um, so price is important, coverage is really important, the service that you can deliver around the edges of the proposition is key. But a lot of the time, if a broker in San Francisco or Sydney or Newcastle has a thousand pound risk on their desk, they just want to get it placed. They just want to get it done. And what our technology does is allows us to make that super efficient, get the quote back, get the business bound and move on to the next one. Um, is so, there how much kind of individual time, it, individual underwriting time is involved in that process or is it predominantly done on algorithms and that kind of thing? Um, so, so the short answer is not a great deal of individual time. Our, you know, our, our vision, and we'll, and we'll apply this to, to the, the rest of our business over the next three or four years, is that the vast majority of the SME underwriting process is automated. Our underwriters' jobs um, are to um, basically make sure that the pricing feels right for that kind of risk, kind of tweak the dials uh, accordingly, 
understand the broker, understand the sector that the clients work in, and then trade those risks on an, uh, you know, as, as they flow through the system and make sure that we're doing everything we can to make sure the broker can get that risk placed. So the vast majority of that underwriting is done behind the scenes by rating models and as you say, algorithms. And then the next stage of that evolution is that we're gonna use a load of our um, new in-house technology to apply uh, even more intelligence and even more um, external data um, and uh, kind of, I suppose, machine learning for want of a better phrase to improve the underwriting experience and make that even more accurate and even more um, appropriate to the risk that's being placed rather than just a straightforward slot rate for a, you know, a professional indemnity risk. So you're talking here about sort of plugging into data banks publicly available data banks on whatever it might be um, yeah. to pull that data and so you don't have to ask the questions, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's publicly available data. There's also data that we can build. So one of the um, one of the beauties of being a 20-something-year-old business now is that we've got 20 years of data, but it's all our data. We've never bought um, any other insurance businesses. We've, we've grown organically. So all of the data that we've accrued over those 20 years is all CFCs and it's pretty clean. We acquired a business um, uh, just over two years ago called Threat Informer, so a small insurtech business who were already doing some work for us and we saw an opportunity to, to bring them in-house. What they were doing for us at the time was, was doing a whole load of external scans for publicly available and some kind of privately available data that would help us to analyse and understand cyber threats for our cyber clients and work out what, what that meant from a pricing perspective how that would affect how we underwrote the risk, but also how we would manage that risk on an ongoing basis with the clients. Brought those in-house. They're doing a whole load of work for us on cyber, but we're also extending that across all of our volume lines over the next two or three years, so that we want to get to a point where the vast majority of our SME business can be A, automatically rated just on a one or two pieces of information, and then there's a whole load of publicly available stuff and there's a whole load of stuff that we can do using various other uh, third party partners, but also a load of information that we've gathered over the years to really inform the pricing and inform the underwriting process for that. Um, cyber is the is the live example of that. So a couple of years ago, we launched um, single question quoting for cyber. So the only piece of information that we need to get a, a fully bindable cyber quote is the the web URL for the company. So you can find out pretty much everything you need to know about a company if you've got the web URL. There's a load of obvious public data, but there's a load of data that's connected through lots of different um, data points across the internet. And then we've got, as I said, we've got our own sort of 20 years data that we can compare it against and use as a proxy to work out what's the rating, how exposed are they to certain um, risks, uh, what was their cybersecurity like, have they been uh, exposed to any kind of data breaches which they probably don't know about? Um, so using that technology and making that really, really efficient, but, but removing the onus on the client to provide a whole load of information which is really difficult to get hold of and often, often not relevant to their own business means that we can, we can make that process really, really smooth and efficient and they can focus on running their business and, and managing the exposures. From a cyber perspective, not only is the information that you need um, possibly irrelevant to the person doing the day job, but it's jargon. I've been asked so yep. many questions and I literally don't know what the words mean. 
so it's really difficult. On a, on a completely side note, but I would highly recommend, I recently listened to a podcast, I think there's 10 or 11 episodes, and it's called um, The Lazarus Heist. And it's all about the Lazarus mm. Group, which this podcast is talking about um, sort of being uh, manufactured by the North Korean government. And it's how they um, hacked into Sony Records and also how they uh, tried to steal a million, uh, sorry, a billion dollars from uh, the Bank of Bangladesh. Have you listened to it? Yeah, I've, I'm, I haven't listened to all of it. I've listened to a couple of episodes. But yeah, as you'd expect, quite a few people at work have talked about this podcast. We've got a lot of um, cyber geeks at CFC in a good way. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. I was absolutely hooked. Yeah. yeah, went home to my husband, who is a, a Cisco network engineer, and was like, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? <laughs> He's not allowing us to have Alexa because he thinks there's hackable opportunities there and things like that. It's, um, <laughs> it's insane, absolutely yeah. insane. Okay, so talking about cyber, not yeah. specifically, but in terms of emerging risks, COVID has seen a, a, an entire global change in in how we um in how businesses are run um but also in sort of the thought processes uh going on in the minds of business owners so there are lots and lots of emerging risks financial security tech blah 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 you'll know much more than me and i know you guys play in a lot of those fields and it's one of the areas that you're looking at so just talk to me a little bit about that about your vision on the next five years that sort of how are you guys using tech to to look at these areas yeah, so I think you, you mentioned COVID there, and I think that was a, um, you know, f f there's a there's hundred things you could talk about over the last 18 months that have changed. But I think one of the big things from a technology and thinking about cyber perspective was that I don't think it really changed the risk landscape as such. What it did is it just brought uh, right front of mind how reliant every single business is on technology, right? Um, so the fact that you know some businesses pivoted really quickly to working remotely and working online, others took took um, much longer to do that. But I think there was just this sudden realization that, wow, technology is absolutely key to what we do. And if we suddenly can't use that technology or something compromises that technology, we've got a problem. Um, there was a lot of kind of speculation in in you know the mainstream press as well as as well as industry press about whether you know remote working was driving a cyber crime boom i don't think that's true i think it just kind of brought it slightly more front of mind um and and made people think about it a little a little more which is not a bad thing um you, you know as as with any kind of insurance product you need a few kind of you know world events to drive this kind of slight change in customer behavior um but what it did do was it kind of it it emboldened the criminals a little bit I think because they just saw a bit more of an opportunity out there and and they were able to um, uh, I suppose try and exploit that a little bit it just emboldened them and, and made them go after targets that they wouldn't have ordin ordinarily gone after and maybe increase the demands slightly so we have seen significant increases in in particularly ransomware attacks over the last 18 months but but some of that is just that criminals have just you know got a little bit more punchy um, and and broad broaden their targets a little bit um, I think broad of that, in terms of uh, the, the, the technology space, we, um, we've always focused on emerging risks, which is a really broad subject and a really difficult thing to pin down. But I think the best way to articulate it is think about some of the sectors that we operate in. So put cyber to one side for a second, which is about 40% of what we do. But um, we operate in the, the healthcare space. So we do do some conventional healthcare risks, you know, medical malpractice for surgeons and 
allied healthcare and clinics and things like that. But what we're really interested in is digital healthcare. So um, another product of the, the pandemic has been the rise in, in the provision of digital healthcare services. So um, could be remote diagnostics, could be remote consultation. You even move into kind of, you know, remote surgery and robotic surgery and things like that. Absolutely hundreds and hundreds of digital healthcare providers have, have grown up over the last two years in pretty much every um, major economy. And the risks that they face and the kind of insurance risks that they want to um, to transfer are just not catered for by con conventional insurance products. So, you know, if you're running a digital healthcare business, you've got you've got some professional liability exposure, you've got medical malpractice exposure, you've probably got tech E&O exposure for the product that you've built and designed. Uh, you've got a cyber exposure. You've got the bodily injury piece. Uh, you've got all sorts of products. And there's really there, there really wasn't any product that kind of fitted all of those things. So they might buy a separate PI policy and a separate cyber policy. But if you have a loss, trying to get those four or five policies to talk to each other is a nightmare. So what we've done is built a, a blended product that caters for those e-health or digital healthcare companies. So that's one example of you know a, a fairly conventional sector, but with emerging risks and the use of technology that sits around it. And that's where we'll focus our attention. Same goes for media risks. So again, there's a fairly conventional suite of products available for media companies, you know, TV production companies and graphic designers and people like that. But we're really interested in um, people that have moved into digital brand licensing or esports or um, Instagram influencers and TikTokers and th all, the, all that kind of stuff, you know, the, the emerging risk because the the platform is one part of it, but then there's a technology exposure there, but also the kind of liability risks that they're exposing themselves to are incredibly different and require a slightly different underwriting approach. So there's kind of, there's, there's the conventional stuff which we can do and we're, you know, we, we love conventional uh, professional liability risks, for example, but the emerging stuff where there are definite gaps and you need a slightly different underwriting approach is what really gets us, gets us interested. Do you know, I am astounded by um, e-healthcare. Like that's, yeah. that's a concept that had not occurred to me until this particular conversation in terms of the physical healthcare. Um, I did a podcast for my other business uh, a few months ago now with a um, mental health professional and he was talking about the rise of AI-led counselling and yeah. sort of this issue between wanting people to... Um, own their own mental health and therefore have a conversation and go away and put some some practical things in and, and you know to try and self-help uh with the support of versus ai led somebody to be there every time you want to moan that i mean that's putting it quite bluntly but <laughs> yeah, do you know what yeah. i mean there's this this Absolutely. idea that uh i have to go to the robot to help me because i can't possibly get through this it's available on tap and that um is an interesting risk uh, when we were having this conversation that I hadn't really thought of how how um, on tap counselling could end up actually making an issue worse because yep. it's there's no end solution it's just I haven't articulated that well but you, you understand no, 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 what I, I mean think, I think you're absolutely right yeah it's it's it, it absolutely astounds me I read a book a while ago um, uh, by Mo Gaudat who was the chief uh, business officer for Google. Uh, and he's written a book called Solve for Happy, and I've mentioned it in loads of podcasts. 
Um, but he, um, he's also got a podcast, and I've listened to a few of those. And one of the things he does is he says that algorithms are around us all the time, and they're learning, but they're in their infancy at the moment. So what they're learning is not just logical patterns, but also emotional patterns and emotional behaviours. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what he said is, he worries that what we're giving is a lot of anger at the moment, and they're picking all of this stuff up through computers, through social media, through passive aggressive, through Twitter bullying and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but when, when by 2050, when the algorithms are, are in their adulthood, um, it will be in terms of intelligence, what Einstein is to a fly, what they are to us. And the question then becomes, why keep the fly? And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> It's, it's um, yeah. it, when you start talking along the what is possible through algorithms, through um, digital space uh, and business space, it's astounding. It, it's so interesting. Yeah. So, so interesting. Um, you've picked up something else there about the media landscape and TikTok mm -hmm. and, 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 um, and Instagram influences. So again, in my other business, I'm looking at a lot of that stuff because it's all around um, mental health. Uh, and I was talking, I was having a marketing uh, meeting with a, with a few people about, because um, the app isn't live yet, so we're having a conversation about it. We're talking about whether we should use TikTok, whether it's relevant, uh, and how do you become sort of an influencer on TikTok when you're a middle-aged mum of three. Um, and my daughter came in, my nine-year-old, and she held a piece of paper up in front of me, and it had about three different um, influencers from TikTok and YouTube, and basically a list get 10,000 followers, then do this, then do this. And I said to her, right, you're hired. Um, but the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the youth understand this in a way that I will never understand it. And they buy into it in a way that I will never understand it. So it's so interesting that you guys yeah. are sitting on that forefront, talking and looking and, uh, at the emerging risks, the trends, the, the way the world is going. I think it's so yeah. fascinating. Yeah, the, just the, the risks are different. And, it, and, you know, it comes back to one of the fundamental... Um, Kind of drivers of, of the CFC business that is, that is that we always try to design and distribute products that that clients want to buy and meet their need. Whereas I do, I really do think, and I've, I've you know twenty too too many years in the insurance industry. The insurance industry builds products that the insurance industry thinks are good. They don't build products that clients want to buy until you get to the really bespoke, you know, large kind of complex sophisticated buyer stuff. SME insurance is, is is designed by insurers without really thinking about what the client wants, or at least it at least it generally is, I think that's you know, across the board. So if you're an SME buyer, particularly a, 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 a an SME company that's moving in that either the digital space or in the social media space, it's just really difficult to find insurance that you really think meets your needs. It just doesn't fit the kind of exposures that you've got and doesn't allow you to build the business in the way that you want to build the business. So I think it's, you know, it's what we started 20 something years ago, which is just trying to build products that are relevant for emerging economies. But you have to think like them, too. You know, so that so the people that we have running the individual teams really immerse themselves in this stuff. They, you know, they, they, they talk to people across the industry outside of insurance and really try and understand the products because this stuff moves really quickly um, and a product that you launch now will be irrelevant in 12 months time at the kind of pace of technological change that we've got so yeah that that's the kind of stuff that keeps us moving one of the the, the terms that i've i've coined i'm claiming it um it across these podcasts it, 
it keeps coming up is this idea of nimbility yeah um and particularly in the tech space that is so important to be able like you say to keep ahead of the curve and a couple of things that i've noticed through the podcast and some of the work we do or conversations that i've had um are around um this putting the buyer at the at the, at the center but that's almost a cliche now what you what you really mean by that and what you're talking about is that immersion in that sector um, and there's a few books that I've read, people that I've interviewed that, that talk about insurance businesses that have sprung up from somebody outside the insurance industry that's then pulled the insurance expertise in to mm -hmm. fix what they see as a, as a, either as a distribution problem or as a blended product, unavailability, etc. And um, Amazon have got it really right. And I know we've had this conversation before, but Amazon's now focusing on the SME market, taking it yeah. out of personal into Amazon business. Um, and that idea that you can take what is essentially 99% of the global uh, economy run by SMEs and categorize it in a way that is needs first is really astounding. So what's yeah. next for CFC? Like how, what's your like five year plan? You've obviously times five to the, the, the head count. World um, domination? No. Um... No, that sounds really difficult um, and, and quite challenging. Um, no, so so yeah, five year plan. It's, it's interesting. We've just um, we, so we we we're kind of we just finished our new five year plan, I suppose, as part of our, our kind of reinvestment process that we've done. But um, in really simple terms, it's more of the same. So we one of the things we talk about uh, one of our kind of mission statements is that we want to be the most highly regarded specialist insurance provider. So so size isn't actually critical. We want to grow. Um, and we think we've got a really nice uh, business model that allows us to keep growing. So, so give or take for the last five or six years, we've grown about 30 to 35% organically every year. Um, I mentioned about the fact that we've got these 3000 broker offices. So they, they all send us business every week, right? And what that generates is just this really cool flywheel effect because you ju it just keeps turning. They keep sending us business. And all we have to do every year is just get them to send us a little bit more and buying a little bit more and the look the organic growth to some extent looks after itself but but the size uh really isn't important we've got no plans to open loads of offices everywhere we're still fundamentally um a one office business we've got 90 something percent of our people are based out of our london office um one of the areas that we really we really do want to expand on so we have a um a cyber incident response business called cfc response um they are two of those offices are, are one of uh, are two of the very few acquisitions that we've made over the last few years so we bought an instant response business in texas um who were already doing some work for us and then um at the start of this year we bought an instant response business down in um just outside brisbane in australia and then we've got a big cfc response business in london and what that does is it gives us this global capability so cyber incident response is basically emergency response stuff right it's it's instant um if a cyber attack happens you need expertise available in that moment and you need it in your time zone so that people are available to give you that kind of expert assistance and deploy the right kind of capability to you what you what you don't need is a hotline that goes through to a third party provider who you know it's the middle of the night so that somebody's reaching across the bedside table and picking up a mobile phone you need that kind of really joined up capability so we really want to grow that um, over the next few years. We, we, we expect that to, to really expand. And, and one of the things that's interesting you mentioned earlier about um, about 
clients and understanding exactly how they operate. Something we want to build out is these kind of sort of trusted channels where we can work really closely directly with our clients. So we are said at the start 100% broker distribution. That will never change. We only want to sell through insurance brokers. I think the, the value that brokers add are, is, is absolutely immense. And um, having seen a few failed attempts for people to try and do uh, you know, specialty insurance direct to, um, to consumers, it just, in my opinion, it doesn't work. So the broker value is, is really, really key. But if we can work out ways of engaging with our clients and helping them to manage their risk better with the permission of the broker, with the trust, um, that we've built up, I think that's really, really valuable. So we do that currently um, through our CFC response app. We've got a mobile app, which we encourage all of our cyber customers to download and register on. At a basic level, that is their uh, reporting tool. So if they have a cyber incident, they have, they have a, a mobile app and they can report a claim and get it looked at instantaneously um, by our cyber experts. Where we think it's incredibly valuable, and this is what we're going to do a load of work on moving forward, is it's also a tool for us to help them manage their risk. Um, we've got uh, a big threat analytics team internally whose job it is is to constantly just scan the cyber landscape to, and, and identify threats and potential weaknesses um, for our client base. And because we know already know an awful lot about the way that our clients work from a technology perspective because we know what um, you know cloud provider they're using or what technology system they're using or what email server they're using that app can be a really useful tool to immediately say right there's a vulnerability here um, I don't know if you remember earlier this year there was a huge issue with the Microsoft Exchange servers and there were some vulnerabilities identified we were able to get really really quick um, notifications out to all of our clients who with that vulnerability and say right this is happening here's what you need to do here's the patch you need to apply uh, and here's who here's how to get in touch with us if you've got any questions about this about how this happens and we think we we prevented dozens if not hundreds of cyber instances as a result of that because we were able to get ahead of it but that's a bit of a step change in the in the traditional uh, specialty insurance world which is 100% intermediated quite often two brokers in the chain in specialty you know there's a there's a retailer and a wholesaler we think that ability to get direct to the client with that really critical information and keep scanning the client's information in, on a real-time basis adds some some real value so we'd expect to see that expand across multiple product lines and just find different ways to to build that kind of trusted contact point with the client as we move forward so that's one example of where we think technology can can really add value we just need to um mm. we, we just need to prove that now and there's a there's a whole load of that st stuff already in train fabulous that sounds really interesting so i quite like the app idea are you looking at building out apps that are relevant to each different product line i suppose potentially yeah i mean it, the, the, the cfc response app is the is the is the first um is the first one and, and potentially the most uh, the most relevant from a customer perspective but yeah we want in, in, a, in really broad terms we want to use technology in any way that we think uh, adds value from a client perspective and from a broker perspective so if we can if we can find different ways of interacting with our clients and our brokers then then we will do but um the critical part is trying just trying to make it as as organic and as um efficient as we possibly can yeah absolutely pat it sounds like what you guys are are doing at cfc's um ahead of the curve on the curve uh <laughs> 
curve has caught up with you, but you're riding it well. It, um, it sounds fabulous. It's been really, really interesting speaking to you this morning. Um, I really thank you for your time. No, thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have enjoyed what you have heard, have any questions or feedback, please leave us a review and we will be sure to get back to you. If you would like further information on how Boston Tullus Group can support your business, or if you would like to join us on an episode, please do not hesitate to contact us.